In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Hi, all. Nicole here. This podcast is intended to inspire you on your personal spiritual journey to inner peace. I am not a psychologist or a medical doctor and do not offer any professional health or medical advice. This applies to the podcast guests and or co-hosts. If you are suffering from a psychological or medical condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. You are listening to A Psychic Story a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Mysticism. Hi, Psychic listeners. Welcome to another episode of A Psychic Story. For this episode, we have Carolyn Swift-Jones. She has been practicing intuition for almost 40 years now and has been an energy healer on the physical level. She was drawn to the healing of the soul. She works on instinct alone for many years before she received formal training by enrolling in a three-year seminary program with the United Metaphysical Churches in Roanoke, Virginia. In 2014, she was given her official mediumship and healing certificates and was ordained into metaphysical ministry. She served as a minister for a Unity Church for eight years and retired from that position this past May. Since her retirement from active ministry, her practice continues to grow and thrive as she reaches out in new adventures, including teaching mediumship to her clients on an ongoing basis. In this episode, we are going to talk about how we are already mediums. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, as you know from listening to the podcast, listening to the show, we always start out with how people get started into their own adventures into the spiritual aspect, into the metaphysical. So please share with us how you began. Oh, golly. I began a very long time ago when I was around (laughs) four years old. (laughs) I think a lot of people begin, you know, when they're little children. But uh I began by having a a regular visit from a lady that I called the Lady Dressed in Light. I was raised in an atheist home, and so I had no uh, religious or spiritual vocabulary to explain what was happening. But I was visited by a most beautiful being who emanated light, and she had the kindest, sweetest, dearest face I'd ever seen. And she laid her hand over me as a little child. And she, um, and the image of this beautiful being, is really what catapulted me forward on my spiritual journey and became, I guess, my the constant 
image I used and still use to remind myself that I'm multidimensional, and so are you, and so is everybody else, and that we live in a multidimensional universe, just packed to the gills with all kinds of light-filled beings. And it, so it began there, Nicole. And then gradually, as I got older and began to notice that not everybody was sharing the experiences that matched my own, I began to think, well, maybe not everybody is seeing this, this, the same sorts of things that I'm seeing. And I did what a lot of us do. I kind of turned it off. And then years later, when I was an actress and working in the theater, suddenly it got turned back on. Wait, and I discovered to my surprise that I had a healing ability and with no training whatsoever, started doing healing backstage on my fellow actors and crew people. And then I went from physical healing to healing of soul, which has to do with uh, my work today. My mediumship is really about the healing of the soul and the alchemizing of the soul through all different modalities, past life, um, present life, um, reacquaintanceship with loved ones who have passed over into fourth dimension. And so that's where it is today. Your lady of light, was she or have you determined who she is? Yes, it's been a very long, slow process. Um, because when I was little, she was just this magnificent being dressed in light. That was, And then as I got a little older, even though I was raised uh, among atheists, I thought, well, maybe that's the Blessed Mother. Maybe that's who that is. And then as I became even older, I learned about a beautiful being named Lady Nada, who many people have described Lady Nada in the same way that I experienced her, um, with the self-same kind, kind face. And now I think that's who I saw when I was a little, a little child, is Lady Nada. And she indeed um, is, for me, I would call her an ascendant master mm. for me. So can you explain a little bit more about her for people that aren't familiar with her? Well, she will come to different people in different ways. Uh, there are two versions of her. One is um, blonde and blue-eyed, and one is dark and swarthy. And she uh, tends to come to artists and to healers and to children. And in her life on planet Earth, she was not well-known. She was uh, raised among a family of very well-known people, but she kept behind the scenes, and now is <laughs> this rather well-known Ascendant Master. And everybody's going to have a different experience with Lady Nada. My experience with her is that she is a well of infinite compassion, and she reminds me of my own divinity, that I also am a well of infinite compassion. So she provides for me a kind of mirror. It's as if she's saying, that image that you have of me, you're really mm. yourself. Part of you. Mm -hmm. Part. Yes, and yeah. is it Nada or Nadam? Nada, N-A-D-A. 
trips some people up because that's Spanish for nothing. Nothing, but, that's what I was going to say, yeah. Yes, but zero very beautiful spiritual number. You know, if it's a blank rune, blank the end, blank the beginning, zero is infinite possibility. So you take that word nothing and you just kind of turn that around into infinite possibility. Nice. Lovely. And then you mentioned about the healing, the physical with your, you know, the other actors and other people How did you know you had the physical healing capabilities? What did that look like? How did that show up? (laughs) It was so funny. Um, I was was doing a play or off-Broadway, and to be honest, I cannot remember what the play was. I really don't know. I think it was (laughs) off-off. I don't know. But um, I do remember that the stage manager was having an, an awful, painful eye infection. And she'd been to see doctors and nothing was working. And I remember that she and I were in the ladies' room and I said, you know, let me try something. And so I just on instinct, without having any training, not knowing what I was doing, put my uh, left hand up to where her eye was and could feel the pain in her eye. And I just sort of invited it into my hand and just said, you can come and sit in my hand. Um, and her eye infection cleared up right away. And uh, so this happens to people. Then you're hooked. Then you think, oh, mm-hmm. something's going on here. That's a typical thing that happens to a lot of people. They'll have one instant of healing. I had several. I had uh, also a woman who came with ovarian cancer. And because I was a beginner and because I had no training and no one had told me, that anything was impossible. I just went on instinct and did what my body told me to do, and she was healed. And that kind of put me on the map, and all of a sudden people are calling me for physical healings. I still have no training, (laughs) but nobody has told me you can't. And people are then coming to my house. And I was working with a woman who had been given two weeks to live, and I wasn't sure why her family had brought her to me. I didn't, I didn't know what I could do. But as I put my hand over her, I could see the image of a gentleman who turned out to be her father. And when I finally got up the courage and brought that image in for her, it was just what she wanted to hear, that her father would be waiting for her. And it was absolutely her dad. I described her him to her. And she left a very happy, peaceful woman. And she did make her transition a couple weeks later. And that was the turning point for me, where I thought, I think I'm more interested now in not the physical body, but what's going on with the soul body, with with the mental body. Because that was my next question was because like I had listed the the fact that you had the experience, right, with the divine or the ascended master. Then you had the physical healing and then you said the soul healing. So that was the pivot for you is to experience that and like the synchronicities that just allow us to kind of move into that next level. Because I've had some people that, you know, have asked me, well, if I'm a physical healer and I can't heal people, then what's the point? The point that spirit has is that 
it is not our jobs to necessarily heal everybody physically to 100% maximum capacity, the whatever may ail them. It may be what you're describing as well, like because that emotional or that healing ability of the soul is what that next evolution is. Like we may not necessarily be able to understand it, but that's what brings us into that that next level, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, um, and this may be controversial for some people to hear, but illness is not necessarily bad. Illness is a vehicle. It's a journey. It's a road like everything else in life. It's an opportunity to go deeper and to find out just how fully divine we are. It's a wound and the light comes through that that wound. So I know that a lot of healers can get very caught up on, well, so-and-so didn't get healed, you know. And I agree with you. I don't think that's always the point. I think the journey is what matters. And anything that allows us to take a deeper journey and to discover our own light, that's incredibly useful. That's something that that is deeply, deeply healing. Yes, absolutely. And when you talk about like the soul healing, what does that look like for you? I'm sure when you first started out, it was kind of discovering what you said about, all right, how does that look? How does that like that next process or step is for not just yourself, but for others. But now that you've been able to do it for so long, how has that evolved over time? I love this question. Thank you. Because, you know, every day I would answer the question differently, Nicole. <laughs> if you were to ask me tomorrow, I think I'd have a oh, different... Oh, I know. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> but, yeah. but today, I would say that as I've come to understand it, um, soul healing is integration. And so what I'm able to assist with and observe lovingly and joyfully is the integration of all these different disparate pieces of our lives that we've cut ourselves off from or separated ourselves from. The The main thing that we've cut ourselves off from is our own divinity. We've separated ourselves from our divinity. And Many of us believe that divinity is something that's on the outside of us. It's something we reach towards rather than finding within. But there are also uh, many embedded beliefs, such as we have to cut out events from our lives. We have to cut out pain from our lives. And the work that I do, which involves a lot of past life work, leading up into the present moment and oftentimes turning and being able to look a little bit forward into the future has to do with how each and every one of us is like a beautiful poem, a kaleidoscope in which all of these hurts and pains and sorrows turn into light. They all turn into light like a kaleidoscope and they become our soul, our souls become these beautiful patterns of light that what was once painful is now brilliant, brilliant light. And as that light that we are, we keep evolving. And as that light that we are, now we make different choices. And now we can create a different 
future. So the poem, which I find fascinating, sometimes I describe it as three-dimensional chessboard, but it's a poem in which everything in our lives, past, present, and future, makes sense. It's a cohesive whole. It's written. (laughs) It's a poem. And everybody's poem is as unique as their fingerprints. And everybody's poem is that unique individuality, that unique way of expressing life. If we can get to that understanding that even the things that have hurt, every death, every divorce, every loss, everything, if we can get to that point and see Yes, and everything that has hurt has also led to the very light of my being. Then we all become like walking sonnets, and we bring beauty to the world. We become that beautiful poem. Yeah, the biggest thing that I was getting like when I was younger was that we all have this unique resonance. We have this unique spark that is our spiritual DNA that creates who we are which is what you're talking about as well. It's not just the the part of who we are right now. It's also what made us who we are to begin with, right? And that's kind of what you're talking about a little bit is that, again, that spiritual resonance, that spiritual DNA. So that's a beautiful remembrance and memory of like just keeping that in mind as we're moving forward in that growth. Yes, yes. But nothing's ever lost. Nothing is ever lost. Mm-hmm. Everything is always transformed. But we never lose an aspect of ourselves. We, we transform it. And I also love using the Fibonacci, the Fibonacci as a way to reference this kind of evolution. Um, so in a Fibonacci figure or in a Fibonacci line, we have a value of 0, 1, and 1, and 1 and 1 equals 2. And then the 2 goes back and grabs the value of the one and becomes three. And we have this, this idea of we can go back and pull the value of what we were, integrate it into our present self, and then we evolve forward. That's profound for sure. And it's hard to do though. And I would say that like looking looking at your notes, you mentioned that when you were young, you assumed everyone could kind of see like what you were seeing and experience it. And then later you realized that that wasn't the case and that you had to kind of keep it quiet. So you had to navigate this and have this closeted life. It sounds like it's a little bit of what you're describing about like that, how we should be versus like the reality of then also what you had to navigate. So could you explain a little bit about that? Oh, sure. And I'll just say that it breaks my heart to see people having to navigate this. I, I imagine a world where none of us would have to navigate this or have to necessarily defend ourselves. I would love to. I mean, that's, that's a world that I'm working for. In terms of navigation, I look at it this way now. Um, and I know, and I'm going to talk this way because I happen to work with a lot of opera singers in my, uh, a lot of my clients are opera singers. Now, I'm not an opera singer, but I can carry a tune. <laughs> I cannot carry a tune. You can't? <laughs> no, not to save my life. Opera no. <laughs> no. Well, you have other gifts. I am, 
I yeah, I know. <laughs> other people do too. If, if <laughs> opera singing is not your gift, then you have other gifts. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But these opera singers have very huge, profound, resonant voices. And they're not going to use that huge, profound, resonant voice to talk to their accountant about their tax. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Good analogy, yes. Yeah, that's okay. So they, they know that there is a time and a place, and yet it's always there for them. They value it. They practice it. They, they know they're not putting their light in a bushel. They just know that, that they can't use that big operatic sound when they're talking to their accountant. Mm-hmm. And this is how I've learned how to negotiate. I've learned the art, the delightful art of chit chat. And there's nothing wrong with learning to converse with people along the very sweet lines of, how are you feeling? How's your weather? My, you look lovely. Mm -hmm. What are you having for supper tonight? These sort of things. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. I think when I was younger... I had a compulsive need to let people know at all times what I was picking up. And then I kind of figured out the hard way that that wasn't very polite of me. And uh, that I, I had to learn how to do as the opera singers do and not use my big voice, you know. Yeah, but don't you think, though, that part of it is like what society deems? Because... You know, um, I understand trying to kind of learn about society and how people interact, right? Because it is a give and a take as far as just, you don't want to just be blanket and just share whatever is on your mind. But also, if we were all open to receiving information and with the flow of it, it wouldn't be so, I want to say sacrilegious, but like cut off about not sharing what it is that you're picking up. Yes, if we were all open. Which goes back to what you were saying, like it would be nice if we didn't have to necessarily dim our light and have all of that, right? But when you were younger, that was a big piece. Like you're talking about like having to kind of shut it down a little bit, but also like was anyone else in your family, friends or otherwise, like having similar experiences or did everybody kind of shut you down? Well, my sister was having some similar experiences. Because usually in families, it's other other people have had experiences, right? Whether it's your mom, your I mean, it tends to run in female lines or feminine lines, but also the males also have that too. So just wasn't sure. My mother had some, but it was never discussed or or talked about. Mm -hmm. And I think to your point about uh, dimming the light, I don't see it as dimming the light. I see it as as choosing to uh, not sing opera all the time. I, I see it. I see it as choosing not to not sing opera. And I believe that every single human being is a medium, is intuitive, is sensitive. Because we are all animals, and animals are sensitive to vibration, which is what I believe mediumship is. It's sensitivity to vibration. And so as animals... We are all sensitive to vibration. We feel it in our medulla oblongata, our reptilian brain. 
a part of the brain that's very sensitive to vibration. We just have been told that the interpretation of such vibration is not up to us. We've been told that that belongs to certain people, a priest, perhaps, who can interpret vibration. And what I love, love, love to see with my students is that beautiful empowerment of, I'm an interpreter of vibration. I can feel it. I am an artist with vibration. I can put vibration together. And um, I'm able to do this too. We're all doing it all the time. We're always interpreting vibration all the time. This is just at a deeper level. Right, yeah, because you talk about or you say that you don't believe in the supernatural, you believe in the natural, and I totally agree with that. I always say that the supernatural is just the natural not yet explained. We may not understand it, but it's a part of the natural existence of who we are. I love that. I think that's great. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, just part of the continuum. The way you described mediumship that were animals, <laughs> I, and I don't mean that to be dismissive. I, it's a different way of thinking about it because I always thought about it more of like we're energy, we're energetic beings, and then now we're trying to understand and transition as we are in this physical aspect or this human aspect. But if you think about it as animalistic, which is true, which is the Abdullah Oblongata, right? <laughs> Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Is that it is we are picking up on that vibration or that sense. So can you explain that a little bit more? Because I'd like to get into what we were saying about the mediumship aspect. Because I always say too, I'm not a medium. I don't advertise myself as a medium. I don't claim to be a medium, but it's actually more choice, right? Like I don't want to necessarily connect with that piece of myself, but I do with my other spiritual aspects. But that's a whole nother story for another day. But for the listeners who are like, tell me more about the medium aspect, what does that mean for you? Oh, great, great, great. This is a cool conversation. I start with the premise that we are fully human and fully divine. And in our full humanness, which is our full animalness, we are able to pick up vibration with our reptilian brain, the medulla opal. And we not only pick up vibration from the earth plane, volcanoes and tsunamis and weather patterns and that sort of thing. Which is what allowed us to exist and stay alive, right? Like our ancestors. Absolutely. Let's get away from that volcano, you know. Or, oops, I feel a lion in the jungle. Like, I have the sense that there's a lion. That predatory aspect. Yes, yes. I don't know if any of our listeners have walked in the woods as much as I do, but when I walk in the woods and there's an animal nearby, I get a prickly feeling and it goes right up in my medulla. And then I know there's an animal and I know to act accordingly. Another way is when, and sorry to interrupt you, but just for people who are like, well, I don't walk in the woods. If you kind of sense that, like, have you ever like sense somebody's looking at you or you look into a direction and all of a sudden somebody's staring at you? Yes. It could be like in a building or if you're on a bus or whatever and just somebody, it's like, that's your intuition. Yes. Truly. That's like your, your not spiritual intuition, that's your physical intuition picking up on it, the vibratory state that you're talking about. 
Yeah, I, that's our human intuition. And as human animals, we all have it. We don't always learn to trust it, but we, we all have it. Now, when it comes to interpreting vibration, this is where, in my own work, I call upon my full divinity. Because in my humanness, I may have a very limited way of interpreting the vibration as it's coming in. For instance, if I'm working with a client and I can sense with my human intuition that there is someone on the other side that may have committed suicide because suicide has a specific vibration to it and that they are not happy, I have to, at that point, leave my human intuition and allow my divine mediumship to take hold because my divine mediumship will not judge that there has been a suicide and will very lovingly, lovingly be able to interpret that event in the light of that person's divinity. So in the light of that person's light. So there, for me, when I'm working, there is an integration of both my bodily human intuition and then what I call divine intuition. So can you explain that a little bit more? Because so we were talking like if somebody were looking at you, you can pick up on that. When we're talking about somebody being a medium and having that mediumship ability, what does that have to do with what you were just talking about with like the tuning in piece, right? Like, cause that there's a little bit of a leap there. So how does somebody relate? Yeah. The leap is not actually a leap if you accept that you're fully human and fully divine at the same time. Yeah, no, I understand that. It's more about like just having somebody like a general listener who may not experience that or may not necessarily be able to tap in to somebody who's passed over and who has committed, you know, an act like that. Like, how are they? How is that that work? Well, the way that works for me, uh, and I can only speak my process, is that with divine intuition, I am able to see and feel into where that person has evolved since suiciding. And I'm also able to feel into the past lives that were behind this lifetime and the past lives that may have shaded the reaction to this lifetime. And then I can feel into the where the soul is at in terms of putting that event in the past? Where are they in the present right now? Where are they in their full, unlimited divine selves? And what is it that they have to bring to the table now that is full of light and full of possibility? And so, to put it differently, it's moving from grief and sorrow over an event And integrating grief and sorrow and saying, yes, this is sad. Yes, I feel sad. Softening with grief and sorrow, letting grief and sorrow soften us. And then being led into a state of awareness where the wound is where the light enters. So it's seeing everything, even suicide, as part of our divine energy. 
It's saying, I'm not going to separate the world into good and bad. I won't do that. I'm going to let the universe be one place. Noted. Okay. Got it. From a mediumship perspective, when you're saying we're all mediums, like what are kind of some tips or some things that like have helped you over the years? I know you've been doing this for quite a while, but what would you say are some things that people could do at different stages, right? Like especially when they're starting out with this. Great. I love the question <laughs> because I teach this. So what I do with my students is I have them begin by listening to Mozart. And I ask them to listen to Mozart and listen to the bass line of Mozart. Mozart has a top line that's very complicated, that strong bass line. And I'll ask them to listen not with their physical ears, but to listen from behind their ears with the medulla oblongata, with their reptilian brain. So they're listening for that bass, that foundational note. Once they get into the habit of being able to distinguish between melody and foundational note, then I will introduce to them the concept that we can think of melody as monkey mind, as chat of the world, chatter in the world, and foundational note we can think of as our divine foundation, the light that we are. So when I teach uh, mediumship, I teach it, I call it divine mediumship. This is the basis of teaching how to interpret vibrations in light of the foundational note. This is how I begin with people. And then along the way, I ask people to adopt a nondescript rock, a little rock that you might find lying by the side of the road, nothing special in a gem store, and a nondescript little plant, and begin to, using left hand, to put our hands up against or near the rock or the plant, and begin to ask, ask questions, and use the phrase, tell me more. Tell me more is a medium's best friend, that phrase. Because we use it when the information starts to come in, we get a little drab of information, and then we can say, oh, thank you. Tell me more. Tell me more, rock. Tell me more, plant. And we keep going that way. So I start people with Mozart and rocks and plants. And then once a baseline of sensitivity has been developed, then um, I teach how to very gradually build what I call a spirit vocabulary so that spirit has a way and you have a way, we have a way of understanding vibration with symbols. Because we're using reptilian brain, we're not jumping to words yet. We're going to work with images. And as animals think in images, I'm urging people to think the way animals do and use image and use symbol. So I ask my students to build what I call a spirit vocabulary, which is based on their dream lives. What are the symbols you see reoccurring? And we talk about what are universal symbols. A dove means peace. 
a ring means relationship, that sort of thing. Broken arrow, broken trust, broken bridge, broken communication, that kind of thing. And then I asked them to find their own spirit vocabulary and to begin to work in such a way that you're working with images. Don't go to words yet. Because and to make judgment on words. But try the try initially to just receive with image. And then <laughs> it is a nice gradual un- unfolding. And then we can move over into the art of taking an image and using language to describe the image in a way that is inclusive and doesn't rob the image of its dimension and leaves the image open. Yeah, because I was, you know, my my guides and angels were telling me that we because we all have our own unique soul resonance and everything we have our own unique soul language. So what you're talking about is more telepathic and how animals receive images, how we receive images, whether it's from the physical self, the spiritual world, that sort of thing. That's how we communicate. And being able to have a glossary of terms or definitions of what that looks like totally makes sense. Yeah, it's very helpful. And then you can begin to develop what I call a shorthand. The way I like to work is I write down a person's name and write the four archangels above that name, and then write God's name in Hebrew, Eya, Asher Eya, above that. That's my own personal grid I use to lift the person from their personality to angelic identity to the I am identity. And once I've written their name down like that, then immediately I will start to get shorthand, spiritual shorthand. All kinds of images will start to come in, and I tried my best to write them down fast and furiously. And my joy guide, uh, who, who I work with, my very sweet joy guide, is, is darling and dear and incredibly helpful and love to talk about my joy guide if you want to talk about that. What's a joy guide? So, the, the term joy guide comes to us from um, the spiritualists. And I'm not a spiritualist because I don't share that particular um, theology. But the joy guide is the idea of guidance. And I would say it's guidance that comes from us and also is without. It's like Lady Nada. I'm looking at a part of me. Mm -hmm. And the joy guide has also been called the gatekeeper. And the joy guide's job for me when I'm doing the work is to be the the person that, the, the energy that funnels the information to me. Part of, it's, she represents the part of me that's doing the heavy lifting. And that way, I can satisfy myself that my ego is over there when I'm working. Because my joy guide is bringing me the information. And that's a whole other part of the work that I teach about how to thin the ego and lovingly, gently work with it like an adorable kitten and say, not now, little dear darling kitten, not now, because mommy's working. You can come back as soon as mommy is not working. Uh, And over time, you know, I've become, uh, when I started out, I had no idea 
who my joy guide was, and then I actually saw her, and then had that confirmed by another medium who described her to me, and uh, she is indispensable to me. Oh, I've never heard of that before. Well, thank you for sharing. I'll have to see who mine is. <laughs> well, I've really loved our conversation. How can people reach you? How would you like them to get a hold of you? Oh, Nicole, I loved our conversation too. I think you are just delightful. And I wish we had time off the air to talk. Yeah, well, we can we can make that happen for sure. I think you're really cool. Well, if people um, are interested in contacting me, the best thing would be to go to my website, which is The Guiding Circle. That's all one phrase. Uh, .com, www.theguidingcircle.com. Everything is there on the website, how to schedule a session, and my amazing assistant, Kathy, will help you if you want to book a session. Um, and I'm also available for prayer. If people want prayer, I'm always available. That's free. I don't charge. I'm just there for you if you would like time affirmatively praying. That's something else I do. No charge. Well, that's nice. That's very nice to know. Well, thank you so much. I'll be sure to include this in the show notes. And yeah, so for Carolyn, um, if anyone wants to get in touch with her, you know you can reach it in the show notes and theguidingcircle.com. And yeah, I really have appreciated your time and everything you do. And thank you for being a part of this. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at apsychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about or have a suggestion for a future guest? Send an email to contact at apsychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.